You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host. And our guest today is Mark Bowser. And Mark is a speaker, trainer, and author of several books, including Sales Success with Zig Ziglar. And we're going to talk to him about sales. We're going to talk about growth of companies. With that, Mark, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Bruce. It's good to be able to be here with you today. Yeah, I appreciate your time. So uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, your background before we get into sales and uh, sales strategy. How did you get into the space? What was your professional experience? Well, I grew up in a business. My family owns and operates the Bright Corporation, which is a publishing house in central Indiana. And it's uh, primarily used for the funeral industry. So if somebody wants to get register books, acknowledgement cards, our main customers are funeral directors. Mm -hmm. And I started working there as a little guy and learning business from the ground up, from the back And then finally into the front office. So they put me into the the trenches first to learn what happens from the manufacturing standpoint and so forth, Uh which I think gave me an insight. And so I grew up there for many, many years and then went to college and came back and was at Bright Corporation. And then I kind of went off for a while and did just the speaking and the training and the writing. And so at that point, I was traveling extensively all across the United States, Canada, Australia, and so forth. Now I've kind of backed off my training schedule a little bit. I mean, I'm still still speaking, but I'm back at Bright Corporation as a VP, helping uh, take that business to the next level. And so having all kinds of fun there. We've uh, We've added two divisions, and it's. Mm. Uh, I've been in sales and business my entire life. So to answer your question, <laughs> well uh, steeped, yeah, yeah, I've been there right, forever. Yeah. Well, I'm curious. So, so, having your early experience on kind of the production side, back of the house, how did that give you, you know, insight or an advantage or, or an ability in sales? Well, it gave me an understanding of the process. A lot of salespeople will promise everything. Yes, yeah. Oh, you you need that tomorrow? Oh, sure. no problem. And you then they get back to the sure. office. <laughs> yeah, the production manager is going, you promised what? And so it gave me an insight of how long it takes to get certain products or certain services out the door. Yeah. And also to have an understanding of that things happen. Murphy's Law happens all the time. And as sales professionals, we have to make sure that we service that customer, but also from a realistic standpoint, knowing that things will come up. And then how do you handle that with the customer to smooth it out? So it's it's kind of a, I believe that sales and customer service are the same coin, Bruce, Mm. uh, just coming from different sides. Sales brings it in the door, customer service keeps it in the door. And I think the top sales professionals they wore both hats. Yeah. And because you have to be able to service that customer, not just close the deal. Because anybody can go out there and close a deal, but what happens is if we don't close the right deal, if we don't close the right need, that person has that buyer's remorse, and then all of a sudden, then the customer service goes out the door. We don't want the revolving door. And yeah. something that my dad and my uncle did superbly for all those many years is they produced that sales and service to where they have customers that go back 20 or 30 years mm-hmm. and wouldn't even think about shifting to another company. Well, that's that's almost unheard of now today. Yeah. And, and so I kind well, of- why do, you, from, why do you think that is? Like, why have we seen kind of a general or shift or trend, you know, away from these kind of long-term, you know, account relationship models for a lot of companies? Well, I think, I think it comes to a couple things is one is that I don't think service is highlighted as much as it used to be. I mean, it is in certain places, obviously Disney, uh, Southwest Airlines, but other than those couple places, 
I think a lot of people take it to the wayside. I remember when I was a young speaker, and we won't say how many years ago that was, <laughs> but, 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 but when I was a young speaker, one of my busiest topics was customer service. Everybody wanted customer service training. I will tell you today, Bruce, it is very far and few between that companies ask for us to come in and teach their folks how to service customers. And to me, that's sad because, yeah. because we have a whole generation now of workers who don't really understand what it means to service within their industry. So I think that's one of the factors. I think the second factor is, like my friend and mentor, Scott McCain, used, likes to talk about, is distinction. Is What's happening is every company almost looks like a mirror image of the other company in their marketplace. The big store that you shop at probably looks like the big store that I shop at here in the Cincinnati area. Yeah. There's not that much difference, and that's a problem as well. So if we're not servicing customers and we look just like competition, what's gonna keep them from going next door? Yeah. Yeah, there's really there's there's no uh, there's no barrier to switching. <laughs> exactly. There's yeah. no yeah. There's no barrier. There's no yeah. uh, fault. There's no nothing that's going to harm us. Yeah, yeah. And I find this particularly in service companies, just because you know if if you're very kind of product or uh, software as a service kind of thing, it's you know the thing that you end up giving them or they end up getting as a product. You know, it's it's very tangible. But you know, in a service company, you know that it's so relationship based or so people based that that what you end up selling. <laughs> <laughs> and exactly. and yeah. how you end up delivering it is so intertwined that I think this the salesperson and then kind of delivery manager sort of customer service you know account manager person ends up being they need to either be highly coordinated and highly systematized or you know the same person so that whatever you sell right. you're going to have right. to <laughs> deliver. <laughs> well, yeah. we mentioned Disney a few moments ago. One thing yeah. that Walt Disney going way way back that he did so well is that he put the focus of pretty much service on everybody. And if service was on everybody's mantle, sales is too, because that they're yeah. the, the two coins all into one coin, if you will. And what happened was like he used to even talk to the security guards and he was he would say, you know, your job is less security and more service. He wanted those security guards to be able to go out there and if they saw a need, whatever it may be, yeah. is to put that other hat on within wearing their security hat and go service that particular need. And that was rare. That was uh, that yeah. was rare back then, obviously. It's it's extremely rare today. But if we wear that mantle, and I think that's why Bright Corporation has been so successful for years, because my dad, my, my grandfather bought the business back in 1945, so we've had it a long, long time. Yeah. And, and then my dad and my uncle kind of built it up to, to the level that it is today. And their whole focus was that that voice to voice, hand to hand with the customer. They didn't. They didn't want all the. Uh, and back then, it was just the beginning of those stages of the voicemail type things and the mm -hmm. machines and so forth. Is they wanted to have that personal contact with the customer. We kept that to this day. Is to where mm -hmm. if somebody calls into the Bright Corporation, nine times out of ten, they're going to get a live person answering that phone. The yeah. only time they would not get a live person during work hours, that is, yeah. is is if all lines are tied up and everybody's yeah. already on the phone. Then they'll they'll obviously going to get a message or or something. In fact, we're getting ready to update that system to make that a little bit more fruitful yeah. to help people. That's rare. How many times do we get put into a a menu driven system that we have to go through seven menus before we even get to the person we want to talk to? Yeah. And by the time the customer gets to that that live person, they're irritated at best, ticked off at worst, <laughs> and there goes the sale. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so why do you think this happens? I mean, is this because people are trying to drive efficiencies and drive down costs, and so they put these systems in? Or I mean, what's is there a is there a deeper issue at, at play here? No, I think you hit it around the head. People are cheap. Yeah. <laughs> and what happens is is it really ticks me off as a trainer is when I'm I'm on somebody's menu driven phone system and it says in order to service you more effectively we have the following eleven items and I'm thinking. <laughs> Who are you kidding? That's because you're cheap. That has nothing to do with servicing me. <laughs> you want to service me, get me to a live person. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. The other one I always love is pay attention to the options because they have recently changed or something. I can't remember <laughs> exactly. how they phrase it. <laughs> it's like, or, or now there's been a number of people just like me who push zero. Well, now they've disconnected that video. Oh, and coming, that is not a valid response. <laughs> or even <laughs> better, they just repeat They just repeat the menu again. <laughs> oh, there you go. That, yeah, just get me really ticked off. <laughs> We're just going to ignore that one. Let's try this again. <laughs> exactly. Oh. And I may ignore them and go to company ABC. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I get it. I mean, so uh, so what is? how do you help companies or, or, or what is the process for getting out of that rut or getting out of that mindset? I think the first part is a philosophical change, is the leadership in particular of that that company has to have that philosophical change of understanding of what they have to change. They have to change from a whatever you want to call that they're rut they're stuck in now to a service mindset. Once the leadership buys into it, then they can help create the culture change. Is If anybody's a, a speaker coming in or a consultant coming in or what have you, or a manager within the organization, if there is not that upper management that has bought into the philosophical change, nothing else is going to work because the culture won't change at that point. I had a seminar, Bruce, many, many years ago, and I was brought in to teach this organization customer service. And so I started the seminar. Everything's going great. Must have been about the first break or something like that. One of the leaders came up to me and said, well, I think I'm, I'm going to go ahead and take off right now because I think they're going to be more willing to talk if I'm not here. Well, there's a red flag. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and as What's soon that as they about? left, yeah, as soon as they left, these people did go off. Oh, yeah. And there were still two other leaders in the room from that organization. So the three of us were just getting bombarded by these people. And I was brought in to teach them customer service. But what I discovered was it wasn't a customer service issue. It was a leadership yeah. issue that had happened, which had formed this kind of culture. They had brought me in to fix their people. Well, the people who needed to be fixed, if you will, yeah. weren't the people in the room. And yeah. that's why I believe it has to be the philosophical change first. It has to be a leadership a leadership mindset shift. Then the culture can come after that. Yeah. And, and can anyone make that shift? I mean, you find that there are some companies that can, some leadership teams that can, some that can't? As, as long as the leaders want to, they can. Leadership is teachable. I mean, there is yeah. no such thing as a born leader. There's people who have different skill sets than others, different talents that we're born with, but anybody can learn and grow in leadership. And so I believe that any organization can change as long as the leaders want to. Now, depending on the shape of the organization is depending on how long it's going to take. For example, I mean, if we're 60 pounds overweight, it's going to take us a little while to get in shape than if we were only five pounds out of shape. But it still can happen. And sometimes there's some growing pains. Just as a, when you're getting in shape, we might have to give up the cake after dinner or what have you. Yep. There may be some employees that might have to go out the front door and not come back in. And and that happens. Those are those are tough. And we've had to do that at Bright Corporation. Uh, fortunately, we haven't had to do it very often over these uh, many, many decades. Yep. But there are times where somebody has pretty much work themselves out of a job. And most of the time, those people know that 
the door's about ready to shut on them. Yeah. It's not it's not a surprise. They're they're doing it themselves. They make choices and the best leaders give them opportunities to get back on the horse. They choose not to. Well, horses leaving without them. Yeah, let's talk about that a little bit because I think that is I think you're kind of developing our approach or, or talking about an approach that I think is is a good one, but I think a lot of ones that people struggle with, leaders struggle with. When you're looking at your your team and whether you're looking at it from a customer service point of view or, or other just kind of cultural values, how can you set up that process so that it is both sort of effective, respectful, efficient? Give us some insight in terms of how you've typically helped companies with making those decisions. Well, I think it first starts out looking at your hiring procedure is how you hire people. And we've had our our errors at Bright Corporation and my other company, Empowered Enterprises. We, we've had our errors. And so I'm not saying we are perfect yeah. at this by yeah. any means. Well, but every time you go outside your hiring procedure, you are skirting with disaster. And that happened about a year or so ago at Bright Corporation. Yeah. I kind of believe in a at least a two-interview process. Interviews, but you have to have at least two, if not three people in each one of those interviews. And the, the reason for that is they might fool me, they might fool you, but the chances are, Bruce, they're not going to fool both you and me at the same time. Got it. And and if we have two interviews, we can figure that out a little bit better. Yeah. And and the key to all success in business, hire good people, hire yeah. nice people, hire hire friendly people. Those type of things. You can't teach that stuff. You can you can actually teach them skill sets. Yeah. But if somebody's got a rotten attitude, that's a core thing that they. They can change that, but you and I aren't going to change that for them. Yeah, it's a, that's a challenge. And I remember as a young speaker many years ago, I was at a, a presentation that Dr. Mike Murdoch was presenting. And Dr. Murdoch knew what I did as a living, and he was quite a bit older than I was, a lot wiser than I am. And he zeroed me out right in front of his entire audience, which <laughs> obviously got my attention. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, Mark, the people that you teach, you can't change anyone unless they want to be changed. And it wasn't something obviously I wanted to hear, but he knew I needed to hear it. And I was obviously young and vulnerable at that point in terms of a speaker, but he helped shape me these many, many years later into the speaker and trainer that I am today because I realized that some of this is the responsibility of the individual. Not my responsibility to go fix somebody, mm -hmm. not the leader's responsibility. The leader's responsibility is to set the culture, set the vision, and then hire the right people. Yeah. And what we had a problem was, a, oh, probably about a year, year and a half ago, Bright Corporation is one of our leaders de decided to <laughs> just hire somebody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you can see it felt like the going. right thing to do. <laughs> it, 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 it felt like the right thing to do. But after it came back around yeah. and the, the legal has to get involved because the person has, uh, yeah. let me say, multiple criminal records and wow. uh, multiple issues. Let me just put it at that. Yeah. <laughs> that impacts the entire organization. I think it was a good smack back in the face of yeah. all the leaders of, okay, we want to make sure that we hire the right way. <laughs> Sounds like an expensive <laughs> reminder. <laughs> Uh, yes, it was. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. And there was a number of things that went wrong in that whole situation. Even when it came to a head, things that went wrong and people, leaders talked to people, talked to those, these people without witnesses. And in, in, yeah. every, in every call, everything that comes around that has something to do with personnel or HR, guess yeah. who gets the call? Somehow it lands on my desk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I get the call and I'm going, you did what? Yeah. And they did what? <laughs> and then what happened? <laughs> At this point, it's kind of like, okay, this is a little above my pay grade. We need to talk to the lawyer as yeah. in now. Yeah. And, yeah. and you don't want to get to that point. No. And it's all about having a system and sticking to that system 
And that system is built around the vision and the culture that you want to create for the organization. Yeah, I can't agree enough with that. Um, so I have a question. You mentioned earlier this idea of you want to hire you know friendly people, nice people. So I grew up in Minnesota, and uh, uh-huh. we got uh, we always we had this uh, phrase called Minnesota nice, and mm-hmm. and I think there was there was an element of that which was almost too nice. You know that at some point you know always trying to be nice and can sometimes lead you down a path of trying to be overly helpful and and agreeing to do things that maybe are not the best thing to do. And I guess, do you see that there is something as too nice or is there a balance between nice and still being assertive and doing the right thing? How do you how do you kind of judge this niceness when it comes to particularly around situations where you may have to, you know, deliver a bad message or, or go down a path that might not be, you know, short term friendly, <laughs> but long term sure. more successful? I don't think it can be people can be too nice. You want to hire people who are extremely polite, nice, ethical, moral people. Where I think comes down to it is people get into a win-lose mindset. I'm, as a salesperson, obviously, I'm a negotiator as well. And in all negotiations, I believe have to be win-win. Both sides have to win. And and the problem is, if both sides don't win, then you create a lose-lose mentality down the road. For example, let's say that uh, we go into a, a car dealership to buy a car, and you decide to buy a car today, and you feel like you got a great win, everything's going wonderful, until you talk to your cousin. Now, your cousin says, you paid what for that car? You know, my buddy just got the exact same car over in Timbuktu for 30% less than what you did. You paid for all that stuff. And now all of a sudden, you're thinking, lose. Now, how do you feel about that dealership? Well, you're not only not going back, but all of a sudden, you create a mindset that now you want to share it with everybody about how rotten that dealership is. And so all of a sudden, dealership had a win, you had a lose. Now the dealership has a lose because you're not going back, your friends aren't going back, I'm not going to that dealership. And so all of a sudden, a win-lose eventually ends up being a lose-lose. And so I'm a huge believer it has to be a win on both sides. Both sides have to gain something from that. And that's not compromise. Compromise means nobody gets what they want. Let me just say something here. Bruce, what's your favorite food? Oh, right now? Uh, Yeah. I love fish tacos. Fish tacos. How about uh, your significant other? What's her favorite food? Uh, uh, anything Italian, <laughs> anything Italian. Okay. So we got, we got A's and Z's here. So here's a compromise. You both go to McDonald's. Are you happy? Uh, no, I'm not happy. happy. I see your yeah. point, but yeah. no, I'm not happy. So, yeah. That's compromise. Nobody's happy. Well, if we can't agree on this, let's go do this other thing that neither one of us want. Yeah. Well, collaboration is both sides getting what they want. Yeah. She gets Italian this week, next week you get fish tacos. And so it's it's that collaboration that both sides get that win. But a lot of that's hard. A lot of people don't want to look for the hard. Yeah. And that's why I think that it's not about being too nice. It's about that people are not trained to have to say no sometimes. They're yeah. not trained of having to say, you know, that's not a win for us and we can't go there. So and how do you do how do you do that? Like how do you train someone or, or what is what are some of the ways in which you can deal with kind of those no situations, but that still, you know, still maintain the relationship or or still help, you know, build the collaboration? Sure. What we do in training is we actually go through role plays, is we will use certain wordings and a lot of times I will not give somebody a word for word type of phrase that I want them to memorize. But there are those occasions where I said, if you're in this situation yeah. and you need to say no, or you need to have a policy situation that you have to bring up, here's how you need to word it. And here's why. And I explained what's going on in the mindset of the individual who's yeah. hearing that because there's certain, uh, 
catchphrases or what I call hot words that all of a sudden it's a gut reaction that the prospect or the customer has. And you got to be ready to handle that if you use those words. And so the better part is we avoid those words. We avoid it, phrase it a different way, and then we go through a number of role plays because it's all about fundamentals. It's all about getting that practice time in. Yeah. Is there an example of a hot word you can think of offhand? Well, uh, policy. Policy is one of them. Uh, If you use the word policy, all of a sudden, that blood's going to begin to boil in that customer's (laughs) mind and heart. It's actually happening to me right now. (laughs) And and the reason why it happens is because that word's been used so often in such a negative connotation, as soon as people hear it, they're thinking, well, great, I'm not going to get what I want. And so we have to avoid that. And the phrase I give people when they have to use policy or even the word no, is to say to the customer, I'm sorry, Mr. Customer, we can't do that because blah, blah, blah. However, we can do this. Now, why that works is, first of all, I'm apologizing. I'm genuinely apologetic that we can't do whatever it is they want them to do. I then explain it to them. Instead of just saying, hey, sorry, can't do it. We explain why. Well, government regulatory code says blah, 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 or this is what we found doesn't work. And then I'm not leaving them in no man's land. I give them the however. I give them some alternatives. So I'm sorry, Mr. Customer, we can't do this because blah, blah, blah. However, we can do this for you. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Let's talk a little bit more about sales and the kind of the front side of uh, qualification okay. and stuff like that. When you when you're looking at sales and sales strategy, how do you approach that question of qualification? Like, you, who should you sell to, and, and should you sell to everyone? Should you only sell to certain people? And how do you make that distinction? Well, I learned that the hard way. <laughs> it's, like, it's like most good a, lessons, <laughs> exactly. As in the speaking industry, when you're a young speaker, you accept every engagement yeah, exactly. that comes around the bend because exactly. hey. Somebody wants me to come talk and they're going to pay me. Well, you accept a few that don't really work out. Like, for example, one time I accepted an engagement for the New York Times. Well, as a Christian conservative from the Midwest, how do you think they liked me? (laughs) They didn't like me at all. (laughs) Well, I knew I shouldn't be going to speak to the New York Times, but hey, they were paying me once. (laughs) And so you learn to accept the engagements that you're good for. And that's true about any company. Every company cannot be a fit for every person, for every prospect. And so, and you don't even want to try. If you try to carry every product under the sun, you're just dumbing down your core of what you do well. And so you have to kind of make sure that all your products and services are complementary for the first part, and you're filling a niche. You're going into a specific marketplace to fill a particular niche. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, you're narrowing your focus. And so now you're automatically getting the the big ocean of prospects has now already been narrowed down to a lake. Then you have to find out, okay, who in that lake has money? Because not everybody has money. And I don't care if somebody really, really wants what we have. If they can't pay for it, I'm sorry, we can't give it to you. So how do you know? Like, how how do you find out whether they have money? Because that's always a difficult conversation, I find. It is. Or it's the the question of do you have money typically (laughs) doesn't doesn't really get you the answer that you need. Exactly. And it's I will admit it's easier today than what it used to be. A lot of people will pay, at least in our industry, with credit card, where years ago you had to trust on a deposit and you had to see if the check cleared and all that type of stuff stuff. You, you still have that to a certain extent, but, and that's kind of the process you have to go through. You have to, you have to uh, sometimes take a gamble, yep. but you want to be, if it's a product you're shipping, you want to be very, very careful about shipping that product before that check clears. And, and sometimes you, uh, if it's a really good customer and you've done business with them in the past, 
and they have a little bit of a financial issue, you work with them mm-hmm. because every company or every individual may or go through a tough time at one time. You work yep. through through that. What's helping with us a lot now as every business is being driven a little bit more online, we still get obviously a lot of phone calls yep. that come in, but more and more people are going to the website and in order in that way. And that's that's perfectly fine. Yep. Well, when they do that, it's automatically done by a credit card. And then our, yep. our authorization company will actually check it and it won't even clear. And so once it clears, we know that we're good to, to go ahead and process it and ship it. Yeah. And so it, it is a little easier, but you do get burnt. We yep. and when you do get burnt, you have a somebody else you either inside or outside, and we use an outside service, the collection agency that will mm-hmm. will go through the process. Yep. And even by then, I'm not one who believes that automatically. Oh, they're two days late. Send them to the collection agency. <laughs> Is we have a whole process that they yeah. go through. First of all, they, they get a discount if they pay within 30 days. Yep. And it's not much. It's like 2%. It's, it yep. just gives them a little incentive. Yep. Well, right after that 30 days doesn't mean we're going to send them the collection date. We have a series of four letters. Yep. We'll send an A letter. An A letter is just kind of, hey, I thought you might have overlooked it, blah, blah, yep. blah. Each letter gets a little stronger. Well, after by the time it gets to the D letter, they're pretty much avoiding us. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty clear. You're giving them <laughs> it's every pretty opportunity. Clear. And so yeah. that's just us. We give people the benefit for the doubt, but we're very, very careful that next time that company orders, they're going to have to pay in advance. Yeah. doesn't mean we're going to cut them off and not do business with them, but hey, if they've paid their debt and everything's good, their account's in good standing, that's yeah. fine, but yeah. they will be paying in advance next time, and I think that's just wise. Anything else would be foolish on our part. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, one of the things I'm I'm a big believer in is earning discounts, earning preferential, you know, pricing and, and treatments. In that, you know, it gets if you don't pay within the time frame and things like that, those discounts and preferred pricings are wiped out, and so you're back at your your full pricing. I think that you know it's a way to kind of keep it keep things in line. Exactly. Actually, let me ask. I mean, any strategies or thoughts around kind of that whole issue? Of, of pricing or discounts or preferred, you know, preferred terms and things like that. How do you deal with that with, with customers? Everything has to be fair. Let me put it that way. You don't want somebody to get a discount just because, oh, you're so-and-so's cousin? Oh, yeah. you get the so-and-so cousin discount. <laughs> exactly. And it's, it's so the reason for that is because it'll come back around. Like, for example, if I give ABC company a huge break in, in, in my speaking fee and XYZ company doesn't get that, now I'm setting myself up for a problem. Yeah, and reputation. so yeah. It, reputation and thing, uh, price integrity or fee integrity. And so there's ways that you can deal with each company. Maybe ABC doesn't have the budget that XYZ does. Okay, well, what else can they do? ABC, I'll give you a 25% discount on this one if you agree to book me at full price within the next year. Or it may be, it could be anything. I will do this as long as you will do this. Now, you still have price integrity or fee integrity because the deal is a little bit more of a complex deal. It's not just a buy this and you're out the door. It's a buy this and then a second item or a second whatever. And you can do that on any any type of any type of product or any type of service, but you have to make sure that you have that price integrity, that fee integrity, and there's always going to be alternatives. There's always going to be some differences based on whatever's going on with that that particular customer's needs. I mean, for example, we mentioned Disney earlier. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of Disney. Not everybody who goes to Disney gets the exact same price. 
Yeah. Because things are wrapped in differently. Oh, you have X amount of people coming. Well, that's going to give you a group discount here. Oh, how many days are you staying? Yeah. Okay, you get this discount because you're staying this many days. Oh, you're going to wrap that property. It, I mean, it's, it's like getting a, a, a biggie size in your order at Wendy's. <laughs> yeah. No, the family, the family pack versus a, a one-off, the 99-cent meal. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I get it. It's um, tough. It's always tough, but it's uh, it's something for your audience to think about in terms of how can you have fee and price integrity, but also widen the way you can service people instead of just cutting people off saying, well, sorry, can't do business with you. Yeah. Figure out how you can help them. Yeah. No, th- this has been great. I think we co- we've covered a lot of great things around, you know, around sales, around strategy. I love the customer service is really the flip side or the other side of the coin of uh, sales and really thinking through how are you from a sales point of view, what are you, what are you selling and how are you going to deliver it and making sure that those things are integrated and, and capable. This is really helpful. We're going to hit time here. If uh, people want to find out more information about you, what's the best way to get that information? Best way to find me is just to go to markbowser.com. It's it's like it's one big word, M-A-R-K-B-O-W-S-E-R.com. And there's ways that you can contact me on there. It has all the information about my books as well as uh, seminars I've given and so forth. Perfect. I'll make sure that that link is in the show notes so people can click through and get to you. Mark, thank you you so much for taking the time. Uh, I've learned a lot. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you, Bruce. Have a great day. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.